everyone. Welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and it is episode 24. Hard to believe the season is over, but, you know, as this is getting published, the last game will be being played against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I figured, um, you know, for the last game, what better way than go out with uh, maybe our biggest guest yet on the podcast. I think everyone's I mean, I'm super excited for everyone to hear this. I think it's a really great episode. Uh, Jamie McLennan joins me, obviously, by the title. And, uh, yeah, he, it's just a uh, huge thanks to him. He's such a great guy. And, and, as always, thanks for the support on the podcast to make it possible. Um, uh, my plan for the off season is to keep trying and do episodes probably every week, maybe every other, especially once the summer gets going. It'll be closer to every other. But uh, I, I'm trying to have some guests on. I think I'm going to have some guests for the playoffs on as well as, as, well as the other Canadian teams. I want to... You know, I did a preview for all Canadian teams at the beginning of the year. I kind of want to do a recap with some of them as well. So, uh, yeah, there'll still be lots of content coming up for myself um, over the summer here. And as, you know, the playoffs come in and, you know, unfortunately the send season wraps up. But uh, without further ado, I'll get straight to the uh, interview with Jamie McLennan. And I hope everyone enjoys. Uh, I'll talk to you all next week. Joining me now, he is a TSN hockey analyst, co-host of Overdrive 1050, and you've heard him all year on the TV. It is Jamie McLennan. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going, man? Not too bad. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's a little sad that the, the season's wrapping up, although it does mean that we get to watch some playoff hockey, which is always always a good thing. Uh, it's a, more fun when Ottawa's in it, of course, but uh, I figured this would be a great time to, you know, just kind of go over the year and take a look back at it because... Um, you know, for a 26th place team or so, there was there's a lot to talk about with this uh, this Ottawa Senators team this year. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, ups and downs, certainly, but uh, a lot of growth, a lot of excitement. Uh, certainly, I think the fans are pretty excited to, you know, almost get next season going just to see if there's going to be a regular season, like a normal as far as 82-game season. Um you know, different opponents south of the border. I think the North Division got a little bit, for me, any, anyways, personally, a little bit old. Um, uh, although it was nice to, you know, go against these types of, of players and all of that stuff. But it'd also be nice to put yourself up against other organizations that are in retooling situations. You know, Detroit uh, comes to mind, Buffalo, that, that type of stuff. But um, for the most part, I thought it was uh, a real exciting year. It didn't start out great, but... Uh, uh, you know, it got to a point where, you know, with their hottest team in the NHL leading into the other night where you're eight, one and one. So uh, a lot of good things happening uh, in the now and for the future for the Sens. Absolutely. And that's probably the most interesting part of the year is it was really a, t- a tale of almost three seasons for this Ottawa team with that, uh, yeah. that, that, that start that no one really wants to talk about and for good reason. And then, you know, they, <laughs> they had a middle 20 or 30 games there where they were better. They weren't, great by any means but they they played hard and that's all you could kind of ask for them and then yeah like the last 12 games or so have just been some of the most fun hockey I think I've personally got to watch since the 2017 run if I'm being completely honest like it's just you can tell they're playing kind of carefree out there and you know they're, they're playing hard they're playing to win and it's just it's an exciting fun brand of hockey and obviously it's always made better when you you know take eight of ten or whatever it's been over the past ten here yeah I mean you know, it's exciting because, you know, they're playing, like you mentioned, they're playing a relaxed game, they're playing a more structured game. So, you know, it took a little bit for DJ to get those young guys to to kind of settle into a system and, and, you know, get the new players to be acclimated to their new environment into Ottawa. You know, it's such a weird season anyways, where 
COVID and you can't really, you can't go for beers on the road with the guys and just kind of feel normal dinners, all of that type of stuff. So it took, took a little bit longer. Um, I even like some of the moves, even I know it was a rough start for a guy like Derek Stefan, but you could see the move for by Pierre to bring in a centerman that could help the young guys early on. And then the injury happens and, you know, Stefan's family's down south. So you could, you could, um, make a case or rationalize why Pierre did some of that stuff. But what it helped do was springboard some of the younger players into more of a role. And some nights they were, you know, for lack of better words, caved in. Other ones, they really, you know, shined and and showed what the future looks like. So, um, yeah, you know, if you break it into the three seasons, the first season we'll talk about, it stunk but they couldn't get a save. Their system wasn't in place. I just talked about it, new players in a new environment. And you had more, we'll call it established teams, like teams Toronto and Vancouver, like even basically every team outside of Ottawa expected to make the playoffs this year in the Northern Division. So their teams are more veteran, they're higher expectations. So, you know, they really took it out on the Sens early on, but then the Sens started to realize, hey, we can play, we can do our thing. So that first, when you talk about that first part of the season, really, really stunk. And then the middle seat, middle part, um, you got some stability there, started to see some younger players push through. Uh, you made a couple moves that really helped the team and, and kind of paved the way for some of the younger guys to push through. And then the last part of the season has been fantastic. And Again, internal competition has really spiked. So you're seeing, you know, it was a nice story with Joey Decord, but then the injury happens. Then Gustafson gets thrown in and, you know, Forsberg's on waivers and he's driving in or flying in that day and play. Like it was a, it's a gong show for goaltenders, but all of a sudden all the goalies were playing well. And, and then the injury to Matt Murray. So a lot of good things happening. And I think that's the biggest key is to, um, to build on it. But then there's going to be some key moves for Pierre to, to address in the offseason, and uh, that'll help the team get to that next level. Well, yeah, and, and that's what I'm really curious to see how they how they approach this offseason, really, because this is one of the biggest ones. You know, obviously last last offseason was the biggest one that they've had in a very long time for their franchise history, and and that's just going to come when you pick third and fifth overall in a draft, right? But Right, right. I'm interested to see if the the thought process changes or, you know, where they go this off season, because there is a lot to build on this year. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into it a little more too, but you know, Drake Batherson and Josh Norris, I thought those two guys were just like a really awesome stories to see because we, we didn't know what they were going to be coming into the year, you know, and, and they turned out to be legitimate, you know, top six guys, which is huge going forward. And, um, you know, last summer they brought in a bunch of guys like Erica Branson, you know, they trade for Braden Coburn. Uh, Paquette was another name. Uh, you know, Austin Watson as well. A lot of, you know, leadership guys is what I call them. And, you know, not all of them. Austin Watson, I thought, had a, a phenomenal season on that fourth line right wing until, unfortunately, he got hurt too. But I, I'm very yeah. curious to see if that's the thought process again this year or if, you know, if they go to look to add, you know, and again, there's not a ton of spots where they really, really need to shore up. But, uh, you know, I thought that the two spots that they could look at is the right side. If they don't think that uh, Bernard Docker is quite ready for next year, a right-handed D wouldn't be a bad option. And then, you know, maybe you look up for an upgrade in the center position as well. But I, I'm curious to see how they approach the off season, because 
I don't want to say I'd be disappointed, but I, I, I want to see a bit of change in philosophy. You know, I, I don't think they need to go and sign a bunch of one-year veterans again this year. I think they're getting to the point where they could move past that. You can. You just have to make sure if you do sign a couple one-year veterans that they are the right ones. They are ones that have value or their value continues to be added throughout the season so that they could be moved at the deadline if a young guy pushes through. Um, I always use the word safety. So, you know, I want holes there so that the internal competition um, can, can be created so that a young guy doesn't feel entitled. They've got to go and get that job. So Ridley Gregg is coming. Jake Sanderson, I believe, I think next year, I, I, I can't remember. I, it's weird. I have a long history with, you know, Jeff and Ellen Sanderson. I grew up with them. So I grew up with the parents, like legitimately in St. Albert, Alberta. I went to high school with Jake's mom, Ellen, and I played hockey with Jeff Sanderson. So, you know, I know the parents, uh, uh, you know, same thing with Ridley Gregg, his mom and dad are good friends of mine. I played junior with the, the dad, Mark Gregg, and, you know, I uh, the mom I, I know as well. Like I, they're twin sisters. And like, like I say, I, I have a long history with the, the family. So seeing the kids get to the next level is really amazing for me. Um, but the, the bigger picture is I want those kids to, to come in and if they can make the team, give them a runway. But if there is some stumbling blocks, that's where, you know, the, the right veteran guy who can either be pushed out or traded could be in those situations. And, you know, are you going to find, you know, is Eric Branstrom, like, where is he going to settle into, you know, is there going to be some regression or progression? You know, Victor Mecte is another guy like, you know, you're looking at, at players like Thomas Shabbat at 24 years old has established himself. I think they had a really nice find with Zoom. You know, Zaitsev is what he is, but I think you, to your point, you need to keep progressing and, and, you know, maybe it comes to a point where a young kid goes, I need to take that spot. Somebody older goes farther down in the lineup. And that's going to be in the centerized position. That's going to be kind of everywhere throughout the lineup. Same thing in net. But I think it has to be calculated that if a young player struggles, there's a safety net that you can't just let them, you know, drown. They've got to find a way where it's like, okay, maybe he needs a little bit of time in the AHL. And I always look at, a prime example, like um, Ken Holland came into Edmonton last year and he didn't have much cap space and there wasn't much internal competition. There was these young kids, either you made the team or it's like, you know, we're going to put you in the minors. Like Kenny Holland signed a bunch of mid 20 guys and on one year deals that were really fast. So he changed the dynamic of his team. They were really fast uh, instead of being a little bit bigger and slower in the previous years. And then those guys were getting pushed out by young player, players. Yamamoto starts in the minors. All of a sudden, he's up. It pushes Alex Chase on down in the lineup. Like, that's the type of stuff. If you have a plan in place and, and some opportunity for some internal competition, you've got guys either on short-term deals or on one-year deals that can either be pushed in, pushed out, or just, you know, traded out. And that's, I, I think you might see one more year of that until – you know, there's no, and I'm not saying there is question marks, but there until you know what Drake Batherson is, what Colin White is, what, you know, we all know what Brady Kachuk is, but where's Tim Stutzla going to end up? 
Is there a step back from Josh Norris next year? Who's had such a fantastic season, but sometimes there's a sophomore, like, you know, reset a little bit. Um, you want to make sure those players have some insulation. So that's what I'd be looking at. Absolutely. And, you know, depth is something that every team needs, you know, we've talked, I know you've talked a lot about Toronto, uh, you know, on the radio and they're one of the deepest teams in the league. Just, they have legitimately 15, 16 guys up front where they could throw into their roster if they needed to on a night. And that's a great thing to have. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And um, it's just about finding, finding those right guys, right? Because, you know, you can say you're going to go do that, but if you don't pick up the right guys or, you know, you're playing the wrong guys, well, it doesn't help too much. So it'll be interesting to see what they do this year. And I, I do think it's a good point on um, Batherson and Norris, especially because as great a season they had, and I'm pretty confident that we know, you know, kind of what they are, at least the baseline of what they are. You know, we know they're sure. NHL players, but the league is going to catch on to them as well. You know, like it's, it's been 50 games still is not that big of a sample. And, if right. they struggle next year, it's not going to be the end of the world because it might just be the league making an adjustment to them. And, you know, obviously you can speak better this than I can, but the league seems like it kind of makes adjustments to players at times. And then it's on the players to, to make adjustments back to the league. Right. And, you know, that's yes. something that might happen next year and that's okay. It could. And, and, and it's not even on, like, it's not even anything about them, but what we see as the player starting is not what they're going to be when they reach their peak. So not everyone goes in a straight line up. You know, some people go, you know, there's some peaks and valleys, right? So you want to make sure that there's enough depth there that, hey, hey, you know what? Drake Batherson goes through a dry patch and, and his game needs a little bit of fine tuning. He may not be eating up all the minutes on the top line. Like, I just don't think you're going to see Kachuk, Norris, and Batherson for the next 10 years, every shift, every minute. That's not a bad thing. Like what happens is like all of a sudden Tim Stutz was like, I need to, you know, I found another level here. I may need to play some center ice. Oh, maybe he works better with Brady because Brady can keep the flies off of him physically, you know, that type of stuff. But that speaks to depth. So I like the fact that there, when you have more depth, you've got more options. And then the more options, it's up to DJ on any given night to coach and go, hold on, this guy's not going. Okay. This guy's going here. This guy's going there. Some nights when you don't have depth, it's just you sink or swim with your top three, four players and you, you cross your fingers that they have it that night. So there's a lot of, um, again, it comes back to decisions that Pierre makes, but you know, I like what they've done. Uh, they've, you know, the, I, I like the direction they're heading. And now it's, okay, what's the next step? Who do you target? You know, who's your goalie of the future? Who's the goalie of the now? Oh, oh, by the way, uh, Seattle's going to take somebody. So who are you going to lose there? Like there's, and, and all of a sudden, because of salary cap, um, you know, situations, all of a sudden there may be a player that is available that you didn't think was available and go, oh, that player fit really nicely with us. And you know what, we'll have to, we'll take somebody's bad contract so that we can get that player, you know, so there's going to be, I think it's going to be a really active off season. So I, I, uh, I look forward to that and, and Pierre's got his work cut out for him. Absolutely. And you know, one thing I've talked about with that expansion draft, especially is I think Ottawa's in a unique spot and I, I don't know if they will do anything or not, but they on defense don't really have too many guys they need to protect. Uh, the list is Shabbat, Mete, Josh Brown, Nikita Zaitsev, and Cody, Cody Golubov, which uh, I, it's just not the most appealing list of, of players necessarily. Obviously, Shabbat's going to be protected. Right. 
I, I think that at this point, Mete's probably worked his way into being protected. And then, you know, take your pick between Zaitsev and uh, um, Josh Brown. But, you know, I personally would take Josh Brown just because I don't see Seattle taking that Zaitsev contract. You know, you said it earlier. He is what it, he is. What he is. Like, he, he probably shouldn't be playing top pair minutes, but, you know, he's still got a, a decent ticket. But, um, you know, something that Ottawa's in position to do is if the team has too many defensemen and they can't protect enough, Ottawa's in a prime position to swoop in and, and say, hey, we'll give you an asset so you don't lose them for nothing. But, you know, we could get a guy on, they could get a guy on the cheap here. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a first line stud or anything like that. But, you know, I think of even to like Toronto, they're going to have to leave someone like Justin Hall unprotected, or they're going to have to go the four and four route and leave a forward protected. It, it's something right. like that, where if they can take an opportunity like that and use it as their third defensive slot. I think that would be an interesting little piece of work, but there's going to be so many little things like that in this off season that, you know, Dorian's going to have to take into consideration. Right. And it's, it, it may not even be a team that, that people are familiar with. It might be Arizona's got a, a, a defenseman that is, you know, not on people's radar, but that's a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. That might be a fit with Shabbat. That might be a Mathot type of player like Carl. You know, Carlson had Mathot. Shabbat is going to need somebody like that. So, you know, the, it, it may not be somebody that is in front of your eyes. You know, I think of one of the, the cagiest moves that I thought of in the off season is Devon Tace going to yeah. Colorado. He's mm-hmm. a hell of a defenseman and, and they're already stacked with defensemen. So, you know, who are they going to protect? Who, who has to be protected there? You know, that type of stuff. But like, it may not be the sexiest name, but it may be the perfect fit. And that's, you know, that'll be again, up to your scouting staff, up to everyone involved of like, what do we need? And the, and even being versatile, because something you may identify something you need, and then all of a sudden something else is available. That's an upgrade of what you have. And you go, okay, I didn't think that guy was going to be available, but that's an upgrade on what we have. I'm going to move on it. So um, that's a challenge. But again, that's uh, that's why Pierre gets paid a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we'll, we'll circle back on the on the season here. Um, you know, one thing I really wanted to pick your brain on was the was the goaltending. Obviously, you being former NHL goalie yourself. Um, there's so much to talk about when it comes to goaltending because it, you meant it was an absolute mess. We saw, I think, was it five or six different goalies play for the Sens this year? And, you know. Uh, Anissi yeah. Bob almost had to suit up the one night for them as well. But um, let's start with the big ticket guy. You know, Matt Murray signs the big contract. The trade comes in, signs a pretty big contract in the offseason. You know, uh, Ottawa fans know him pretty well from the 2017 run, unfortunately. Um, comes in and just, uh, it's a disaster to start the season. And again, we touched on the start. The whole team was a disaster. It's not just on Matt Murray. And Marcus Holberg couldn't right. stop a beach ball in the net, it looked like. And, you know, the, right. the defensive structure was ugly. It wasn't all on Matt Murray, but it, it was an ugly start. But, you know, as the year picked up, it really looked like he was at least starting to, in my eyes anyways, I thought he was starting to get a little more comfortable in the net, but it just, then he just couldn't stay healthy. And, you know, it was overall an unfortunate first year, but I wanted to get your thoughts on what, you know, you saw to Matt Murray um, just throughout the year. Do you think he was developing and, you know, what would you expect going forward from him too? Well, yeah, it was a bad start. Um, I said all along when they gave him a four-year extension at 6.25 is a lot of that was he was going to be unrestricted. They traded for him. Uh, I call it hazard pay because probably the first 18 months of his, we'll call it Ottawa career, 
the numbers aren't going to be glowing. There's going to be some losses. There's going to be a, you know, a lower save percentage, that type of stuff because of what we saw early on. So, you know, I never felt bad for Matt Murray making 6.25 million, but did I feel bad for him, the former goaltender from one goaltender to another early on? Absolutely. Because there was no structure. Like we forget sometimes here's a guy who comes from one organization. He's going to a brand new organization. There's no training camp. There's, you know, it's a brand new team, new structure in front of you. And you don't have the luxury to like even spend time with your teammates to, to figure out their, their, their habits, that type of stuff, the way they like to play in front of you. So you're just, you're blind. That's it. Go play, go stop pucks. And the first 15 games was a disaster. Then it got to a point where you see one really good game, one bad game from him, you know, statistically. And that was a struggle. So I, I, and then he started to stabilize. There was a pocket there where he had some really nice games and then the injuries, you know, started. So yeah, I wouldn't say it was a successful season, but is there some stuff to build on? Sure. Sure. There is like, just like we saw everybody else. Um, you know, I look at uh, Gustafson. I think he's a good young goaltender um, sample size. I always use that word because at 22 years old and yeah, you played seven or eight games. Like, there's a long, long road there still ahead. Like I wouldn't yeah. get, I'm not, you know, saying here's our next starter. He's playing 60 games next year. Like there's a long road, you know, Hogberg, you know, early on in those games, there it, it, it was terrible. Like he, they were hitting the middle of the net uh, and dry subtle. Uh, I remember the game in Edmonton where he hit the middle of the yeah. net, but there were some times where I thought, okay, that looked like the Hogberg that I watched in Vegas, make 50 saves live, you know, and, and there's some ability there. Um, Decord was a nice story, you know, a surprise start gets beats the Leafs really big personality. Forsberg is, was fantastic too. Like I thought the goaltending after those first 15 games really stabilized and then the injuries hit and then the goaltending coach change where you've got Zach Burke come in and a little bit different philosophy so I overall, I think the goaltending position, there's still questions there, but there's lots of um, uh, there's lots of potential and the potential to grow with the team. So you know, I'm not I'm not saying one way or the other. I just I still think there's question marks, but at least there's there's some stuff to build on there, and I could make a case for all of the guys I talked about. I would say, I think, you know, early to what you were talking about earlier, there's a lot of internal competition there going into next year, right? You know, you got, sure. uh, you got uh, Murray, obviously is going to be the starter, but you know, if, if he falters, Gustafson's going to be right there, you know, maybe Decord and, and they just signed Forsberg, you know, it, the, the Forsberg signing pretty much all but rules out, you know, Hogberg's gone, unfortunately this off season. And, you know, I, I hope he can land on his feet somewhere because he seems like a genuinely good guy. And, you know, watching him at the end of last year was a lot of fun, you know, when he had a couple of those, you know, you mentioned the 50 save performance, like just unreal stuff like that, where it's like, yeah, you'd watch him at times. You'd be like, man, this guy is an absolute stud. And, you know, so I, I do hope that a team takes a flyer on him, whether that is a backup or, you know, get his confidence back in the AHL and go back up because I, I like to land, see him land on his feet. It just doesn't appear it'll be with Ottawa because they have so many options in net, which again is, 
never a bad thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see what Gustafson slash Decord can do going forward because, you know, people are really high on Gustafson, especially online right now. It's like he's yeah. the savior and you can take any goalies eight game sample size and you might not know what you're going to get. Right. It's just, it's not a reliable amount of time. I agree there. I mean, I don't want to piss people off that are listening to this, but I think there's a good chance he plays in the AHL next year. And because there might be a scenario where he plays in the AHL and gets some NHL games, but it, you know, if I was the goalie coach there, I would want to make sure he plays 50 games next year. So I don't think he's playing 50 in the NHL. So maybe he plays 30 in the AHL and 20 in the NHL. And there's a a system of, you know, maybe not a rotating backup, but somebody who moves up and down that, that provided there's health. Um, The one thing I'll throw in there too, just like we were talking about, Uh, Seattle's going to have an opportunity to choose a lot of goaltenders and a lot of players. There might be a goaltender that's available out of nowhere that you're like, hold on a second here. This might be an upgrade. This might be a better fit. Um, You know, we, we think those two young players that are our future need to play. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, let's say I think Forsberg was signed to be exposed. So maybe he, Maybe he gets taken, maybe he doesn't. Let's say it's you start with if you're you're heading into, and I'm just as this is just like off the top of my head. Let's say you want Gustafson to play a ton. So he's earmarked for 50 games in the AHL next year. And Joey Decord, him and Joey is 30, even though, or vice versa, like you want them to play a ton. So then you're thinking, okay, it's going to be Murray and Forsberg. And then if Murray's playing well, Forsberg can be interchanged or whatever. This offseason, there might be an upgrade on Forsberg that makes your team better, that could challenge Matt Murray at the NHL level for, for good minutes. I don't know who. I'm not – I'm just like Jake Allen, for example. Like Jake Allen's a good goaltender. He makes he makes 4.5 this year. He signed a two-year extension, I think, at 2.8. Yep. So all of a sudden, Jake Allen looks pretty good at 2.8. And now – Maybe Seattle takes him and decides to flip him. And and, and you're Pierre and you go, that might look better with Matt Murray and Jake Allen. And you 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 do something with Forsberg and then you allow those young kids to play and, and grow. So <clears throat> my point being is I know, and I see this online too, everyone gets excited and you know, Branstrom's gotta play. Logan Brown's got to be called up. Like there's all these, like all this noise, but I would argue like there's a plan in place and you will have to allow, like we were talking at the start of the year, you have to allow these kids to push people out. You just don't hand them something. So maybe it's a scenario where you start the season with Matt Murray and goalie X, let's say Forsberg or goalie X, but then Gustafson or Joey Decord stands on their head in the minors and is like, I'm ready for the NHL full time. I'm pushing this guy out and you, you can't keep him in the minors anymore. So I, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm not in privy to any information from Pierre Dorian or anything like that, but these are the types of scenarios that can happen. And it, it comes back to what we we're discussing originally. And that is, it's nice to have depth at every position because it creates internal competition. So 
the internal competition is not just going to be Decord versus Gustafson. It's going to be Murray, Gustafson, Decord, Forsberg, maybe goaltender X. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the kid that they have. Um, Mandalese uh, and Sogard are both guys in the minors. Right, that, Sogard, right. Yeah. You know, so there's, um, you know, there's, it's it's not musical chairs, but there's there's some real competition here. So I, I like that. And like I say, I just, I'm one that subscribes to, like, you don't need to force feed a guy into the lineup just because you think, you know, oh, he's young and he's been with the organization or he had an eight game sample and man, he, you know, that's it. It's, it's because what if he has eight stinkers? What do you do then? And you've moved people out of the way. So you've got to give him an opportunity to continue to grow. So I was talking about Gustafson, but I would, I would lump Joey Decord into that conversation too. Yeah, absolutely. And and if people are wondering, you know, who's available to Seattle, just quickly, I did a, I was bored the other night and did a mock expansion draft on cap friendly and uh, there was a ton of goalies. Like I had them taking Jake Allen, Jonas Corposalo and uh, Vidic Vanacek from the Washington Capitals. And there was two or three legitimately other options. I thought that Seattle had as well. So uh, it could be a rotating goalie market, kind of like what we saw last year in free agency, but you know, maybe it's via trade team shoring up their depth a little bit. It'll definitely be really interesting, but um, yeah, you know, I, I, just to interrupt you really quickly. If I'm Columbus, I don't want to lose Corposalo or Elvis for free. Exactly. That's what I'm doing. I'm trading them at the draft. Yeah. So, you know, all of a sudden, and both of those guys can be number ones. So if I'm, you know, Mike Smith's going to be 40 next year. If I'm Edmonton, I'm doing, am I looking at Corpusalo? Um, Again, if, if Pierre ends up looking and going, you know what, maybe Corpusalo is a, is a, not an upgrade, but it's, you know, it helps a tandem situation here. Like there's so many things that can happen. And that, I guess that was my point, you know, to what yeah, you're absolutely what you yeah. i mean it feels like every year right it's just something happens that you go oh i didn't like dadanov is a perfect example of that last year you know i would have and right. granted his season here wasn't uh wasn't the, as expected but i thought he still played all right but i would have if you told me heading into the summer i would have never told you that i thought dadanov was going to ottawa and especially on a deal that looked as reasonable as you know three years five million and but right. that's just kind of what happened, you know, and that kind of happens every year. So it'll definitely be interesting and, you know, exciting too. That's what makes it so much fun, right? Is, you know, we can do all the guessing in the world, but then when it actually happens, that's just, that makes for that much better of a reaction. Right. But um, agreed. Um, agreed. You know, circling back on the year, you know, uh, we can look at goalies or forwards, but I wanted to know who impressed you the most this year, you know, and that can be someone you expected to be good and they were good or, you know, someone you weren't too sure about and they just had a really, really solid season. Um, two for me stand out, actually I'll go a third, but, uh, first and foremost, like, uh, Josh Norris, I, I think he's got a chance to be a really, really good player. Not that I didn't think that it's just when I laid eyes on him and, and watched him grow throughout the season. Um, I'm like, this guy's got balls. Like he wants matchups he wants to play against the best he has confidence to make plays like um i don't want to say i'm pleasantly surprised i just think that he uh, i really like him and i i'm excited to see what he ends up as a player you know if if he's a a really good second line center or he's a good number one center like I, i i think my i guess my initial impression was 
I thought he was going to be a second line center. I think the runway is longer for him. So I, I'm really impressed with him. Uh, Brady Kachuk, as much as I rave about him on air and, you know, watched him the last couple of years, like there was another area of growth that I witnessed, like where, you know, like that guy is the pulse of the team. As much as Thomas Shabbat, like, you know, is, is a great player and a superstar, Brady's every bit of that. Like it, it, I, I saw his game evolve with, you know, the physicality, you like, he knows how big and strong he is. He's, you know, the shots on goal, like working in that 10 foot radius, um, standing up for his teammates, knowing when they're a bit sleepy that night, it drags him into the war. I just saw, and I hate saying, but I saw like captain material right there. Like, you know, yeah. like there's even there's, off ice too. It seemed like it too. Right? right. Like he was just, he was always the guy they kind of leaned on. It seemed like. Yeah. So, and you know, took, Stutzla under his arm and he's, he's just you could tell uh, I know their family a little bit obviously I have a history with the, the the dad um but they're just a great family and they're you know they're all kind of cut from the same cloth you know Matthew Brady Keith mom Chantel like their sister like I just they're they're just a great family and just seeing Brady progress like I just think he's you know, he's a 15 to 20 year guy. That's just going to be an animal in this league. And it's, and it's, I say that in a really endearing way. So um, that I thought was really cool. And the other one, I don't know if it's a surprise, but like, it was just good to see like Connor Brown is such a, I think that's, if you had, like, I just talked about Brady, Connor Brown is like everything you want like he's the whole package as well, just different than Brady. But Connor's, you know, he was snake bitten for a while, um, just stuck with it. And, you know, you could tell he was frustrated. He wasn't scoring. He wasn't doing, you know, he wasn't getting the points that he wanted to, but he was still working hard. He was still good defensively. He was still a class, like, um, you know, great role model. And all of a sudden it started to go in for him. And I was like, okay. I like that. And I like that they've got him as kind of a mainstay stabilizer for the whole, the whole group there. There's lots of surprises. Like, you know, I thought Zub was a pleasant surprise. I had no idea who the hell he was. And all of a sudden he's a really solid player, you know, um, Batherson, I didn't think he had as much upside scoring and skill wise, but he very, he surprised me. So there's, there's lots of different ones, but those would be my three just kind of off the top of my head. And I know I missed somebody, but, uh, um, the, you know, those are kind of like, it was, it was good for me to watch some of these guys grow. I think that's, those are very three fair ones to have, you know, and with Norris, especially like he, I think most people had Logan Brown penciled in the lineup, cutting in a training camp and not Josh Norris. And, uh, you know, he ended up beating him out of a spot and then looking real good this year doing it. So, um, yeah, that, that's a very good one. And obviously Kachuk, like there's just, it feels like anyone who gets to talk to him or know him just comes away and say, man, what, like, just what a genuine good dude, which, you know, it's what yeah. you want out of a leader and, you know, the face of your franchise. And even, I don't know if you saw the story or the the video of the, the kids throwing the hats over to the house. Yeah. Apparently Brady organized that or okayed it, you know, with the neighborhood, which is just, it's just one of those things where it's like the little things like that go a long way. Right. And uh, 
Sure. I'll, I'll throw two more in there too. You know, I had Zub on my list uh, just because, you know, he could have been, you see guys come over from the cage all the time. You know, Zaitsev was one. He had a pretty good rookie season. Hasn't been as good since. Uh, I, I keep going to the Leafs. It's just because I'm from uh, water kitchen, Waterloo here. So I, they're always on my TV, but uh, Ozaganov's another name that, you know, comes over from the KHL. Struggles. Oh, they had Barabanov. They've had a bunch of so guys. many, Lettinen, right? Lettinen, like, yeah. yeah, they, they hit with Mikhaev, you know, and they, like, but you're right. Like you, you look at it. Like I think Zaitsev's a really solid player. Um, but, but like Zub was a, ple- a ple- pleasant surprise for me because I just didn't know. I didn't have, yep. the, I didn't know any history when it came down to it. Well, and I don't think it would have surprised anyone to say, you know, he wasn't an NHL or he was a fine third liner, but he was a legitimately good top four guy for this team. And, you know, that's just yep. such a huge find for literally nothing but cap space. Right. And then, the other two I'll throw in there as well. One is, you know, a little more under the radar, and it's just because my expectations weren't quite so high for him. But Austin Watson's a guy I thought had a really strong season this year. You know, Jamie had to go down with the injury. I was a little skeptical of the trade. Um, yeah, again, he seems like a you know a, a pretty good guy, but just from an on-ice perspective, you know, his, his value, other than, you know, punching and hitting people, it, it, I wasn't sure what there was there. But, you know, he really chipped in offensively and brought some of that physicality and grit. And, you know, I, I thought it was a, a perfect fit on the fourth line right wing. And he he seems like a guy that, you know, he doesn't need to be an everyday going forward if you don't need him to. But he can slide in that lineup and slide to the third line if you need him to. And that's a, a solid find. And then um, Alex Formanton was the other guy I wanted to mention. Uh I just yeah. have so much fun watching him play hockey, just watching him burn up and down the ice, uh, especially on the penalty kill has been an absolute treat to watch. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I just, I think there's a lot, like we, I didn't see, we didn't see much of him, right? You know, so like my thing is, I think he's just scratching the surface. Um, his speed will put him into great spots because he's good on the penalty kill. He's got guts to block shots, but because he's so fast, he's going to get looks. Like he might be a guy who gets one breakaway a night just because of his speed. So where I'd like to see him or where I'm interested to see where he will go is, will he have finish? Will he be like, there's guys that I joke about. I say they have million dollar wheels and 10 cent hands, or will be, he'd be a guy that puts the, the wheels and then the finish together. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's a 20 goal score. That's a 25 goal score because all he does is place himself in situations. And if he's good defensively, you're going to be out at the end of the game. So you'll get some free empty netters. Like I think of a guy like Michael Grabner, who had seven empty netters one year, I think for the Rangers and got a good deal in Arizona. Grabner's a big, strong guy, a great skater, and he was really responsible. I think Formington has more offensive upside than a guy like Grabner, um, even though I think Grabner scored 38 for the yeah. Islanders but I, now that I think about it. But I just look at Formington, and I think he, he can place himself in situations to get looks. What he does with those looks, that'll, be, that'll determine how good of a player he can be. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, another guy that kind of reminds me of is Andreas Athanasiu, you know, just has all the wheels in the world. Scored 30 one year, but then, you know, struggled to make it past 10 or 15 cents. But so it'll definitely be interesting to watch and and, and see how he develops. Uh, You know, the one thing I wanted to also just kind of pick your brain on before I get you out of here is uh, 
how was it calling games in, you know, the COVID era here? I, I know it, uh, it must've been a little different in an empty building. And, uh, you know, I, I saw you spent a lot of time in Ottawa this year, you know, in, in a hotel. Uh, how was that, that experience, you know, just compared to a normal year? Um, yeah, everything screwed up. I mean, you know, they, the biggest thing that I noticed, like in an empty building is you can just hear everything you can hear. They pump in crowd noise, but you can hear a guy swear when he misses a, an open net. You can hear, you know, the goaltender yelling at the, the coverage coming in. And so, you know, the building, there's not no energy to feed off of because there's nobody there. So you have to create your own energy, even on, in broadcasting. A lot of times, you know, I'll give you an example. Somebody scores a goal. Let's say Brady Kachuk scores a goal and you're on home ice, you know, if I'm working with Gord that night, Gord will say, Kachuk scores, and the crowd goes nuts. And as the color guy, you wait to, you know, for the crowd to, they'll, they'll hear the crowd cheer. And then usually there's a little bit of a lull where I'll jump in and say, Brady Kachuk with a beautiful move or, or you know, something like that. There's not, like, he scores, and, like, they pump up the crowd noise on the horn, but the timing of everything is a little bit different and you have to create your own energy. So I think the players are the same way. They're like, we're skating around here in an empty building. Once the play starts, it's the same, but everything else it's weird. So yeah, I spent a lot of time in Ottawa. Uh, love my time in Ottawa. And that's why, you know, I'm going to continue doing this for as long as they want me there and all of that. But um, you know, it's just a, uh, would I much rather be interacting with people and, you know, going to corner bars after and, you know, exploring as much as I can? Absolutely. So, you know, it was weird, but I, I think it's just been weird for everyone. So I just adapted, put it that way. Absolutely. And it's one of those things where, you know, at the end of the day, you're just kind of thankful that we still have hockey to watch too, right? Like exactly. Better alternative exactly. than, you know, sitting there with nothing on like the, the start of the pandemic was. So, um, yeah, no, it's definitely, it's been weird, you know, just watching on TV, but I don't know about you, you know, when I'm watching on TV now, I've kind of adjusted to the empty stands to the point where when I'm watching say baseball games and stuff, like the Houston Astros, the Jays were down there and they had 25,000 people in the stands. And yeah. like, that looked weird to me. I was like, Oh, this is a strange sight. It gives you anxiety. Like I I'm watching a building like that has like fans in it. You're like, what's that like? Like, it's almost like I, I, I'm an old guy, but I feel like, like telling a story. Like I remember when there was fans in the building, like it's weird. Like, but I, I wait, I can't wait for, you know, all of us to be vaccinated or herd immunity or wherever, wherever you choose to, to do until we can all get back into this situation where it becomes normal again, where we can, you know, be at the rink and there's 20,000 people there and you're not worried about, washing your hands and doing all that. Like, uh, I, I, I long for those days. I don't know when they're coming, but I'm, I'm ready for them. Put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully they come soon because what better time if you're an Ottawa fan than when, you know, this young and exciting team is just starting their, their March up. Hopefully. Um, Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, this is an absolute blast. Uh, plugs and stuff. Where can people find you and you know, your work? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I work with TSN and, I co-host overdrive and all of that fun stuff. So I think people are aware of that. Um, I'm always on Twitter, uh, Jamie McClendon 29. Um, I tried people write to me. I try and get back to them as much as possible. 
I like, uh, there were some of the, uh, I think they're called the sickos that there was the, the, the send sickos people. They, they wrote to me and I got, you know, was chatting with them and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Um, but you know, for the most part, um, that's, you know, that's kind of my interaction. I'm an old guy. I always joke like, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm on Twitter and, you know, I, I, I'm on, you know, Instagram a little bit and stuff like that, but I leave it for the people that know it. So I, I don't want to mess around with that stuff, but it's good. It's really nice to interact with as many people as possible. Absolutely. Especially when, you know, the dialogue is, you know, straightforward and, and kind, right. That's, that's the biggest, it's yeah. gotta be productive, right. That's, that's the biggest Agreed. thing. Agreed. Um, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great night. And, uh, you know, I'll talk to you down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Huge thanks to the one and only Jamie McLennan for joining me. Uh, just an absolute great guy. Uh, one of the nicest people I've ever gotten to, to chat with. And, um, you know, I, I think I speak for most Sense fans when I say he does an absolute killer job on the Sense broadcast. The, um, you know, obviously, I didn't want to bring it up with him. But, you know, I, I personally really, really love when it's uh, TSN's broadcast. Uh, you know, the, their whole crew is great. Gord Miller's awesome. Um, you know, their panelists I, I find more enjoyable as well. Uh, it's just a great run production from TSN, and he's a huge part of that. So, um, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Uh, you know, it was funny listening to that back. I, I, I got a laugh when I told my my. I told Jamie to plug some stuff in where where he works as if anyone listening to this podcast doesn't know Jamie McLennan, but uh, that's just my natural podcast thing at the end when I have a guest on, so it was just a natural reaction, but it's still funny to listen back to anyways, but uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening, and again, as I said at the beginning of the episode, if there's anyone you want to hear, uh, you know, give me a shout and let me know, uh, I, I'm always open to you know new people, new guests, and um, especially as the summer months roll on here. Uh, I think next week or in, in a week or two, I'm going to try and get uh, an Ottawa Senators grades out. So uh, I'll be finding a guest for that. And pretty much I, I want to go through and grade uh, at least most of the players, you know, uh, maybe not every single one of them, but uh, definitely the, the big pieces and, you know, some of the some of the depth pieces as well. And then coaching and management, and give them a, a letter grade and just kind of talk about the season as a whole and kind of do, you know, extend on what uh, the, the conversation was today. Um so we'll see where that goes. Um, but yeah, as as always, thank you for the support. Um, thank you for, for liking, sharing on Twitter. Um, it means a lot. And if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at NHL Sends and Stuff. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. You can also hear me on the MNM Hockey Podcast. I do that with my buddy Chase McCallum. And that is out weekly as well on all kinds of hockey topics. And you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com and app stuff actually at milehighhockey.com. I'm uh, keeping really busy these days and I, I plan to keep that going forward. So thank you everyone for listening and I hope you all have a great week.